and welcome to another episode of The Cranog. In this episode, we decided that we've covered so many tragic, sad stories that end in death, destruction and general misery that we decided that we would do an episode on only happy stories. So please enjoy. So this is um, The Sharp Grey Sheep. Um, and this version is taken from a book by J.F. Campbell. And I'm not going to read the actual thing, I'm just going to like summarise it, um, because I also want to summarise another story alongside it that kind of compares. So it's basically a retelling of Cinderella, or like an alternative to Cinderella. Um, and essentially, there's a king, a queen, and his daughter, and when the queen dies, the king remarries someone new. So we've got your classic evil stepmother. Um, the new queen treats the old queen's daughter badly. Um, she beats her and she makes her do all the housework. Um, and then one day she decides to send her out to work as a shepherd with the sheep, hoping that the girl will eventually starve to death. Um, but the girl didn't die and the queen wasn't sure why this was happening. Um, so she snuck out and she watched the her stepdaughter befriending a sheep who had large horns and thick grey wool and it would bring her food every day so she wasn't having that so she decided that she was going to have the sheep killed but somehow the sheep is very intelligent and it gets wind of this um and it goes to warn the girl who it has been bringing food to and it tells her that it's going to get killed but once it's dead, steal its bones and roll them up in its skin and it'll come back to life and it'll help her out again. So the stepmother has the sheep killed and the girl does exactly that. She takes the bones, she wraps them up in its um, skin, but she forgets about the sheep's hooves. Um, so the sheep comes back to life, but because she forgot about its hooves, it comes back to life and it's lame. Um, the sheep continues to give her food and I'm not really sure what the relevance of the sheep is because it disappears now. We never hear about the sheep again. Um, so one day a young prince is coming down the road by the sheep field and takes a fancy to the, the girl. Um, and he gives her a pair of golden shoes and presumably she also takes a fancy to him. Um, so the evil stepmother, the queen, hears about this and she seeks out a henwife who is like a wise woman. Um, to ask her what to do about the situation because she doesn't want her she doesn't want the king's daughter marrying this prince she doesn't want her to have the power so she asks the henwife and the henwife tells her that the prince is um quite prolific and rich and powerful and the queen is not having that so she decides that she's going to send her own daughter his way um so she brings in the old queen's daughter from the sheep field and sends her own daughter out to look after the herd in her place um and the new queen then sets the stepdaughter to you know work in the house and look after the house while uh the other daughters out in the field getting the attention of this prince um so one day there's this sermon happening at the church and the new queen everyone's going the the new prince is going to be there too um but the new queen doesn't let the stepdaughter um with the gold shoes go to the sermon instead she makes her just do the work in the house so while everyone's at the church the girl decides that she's going to get ready she's going to go anyway um and she's going to sit where this handsome prince might see her um and then leave quickly uh and get back to the house before anyone notices so 
she does that. Um, she sits in the in the church. She catches the eye of the prince, and then she flees. And then the next time she goes back to the church, the next day or the next Sunday, if you like, um, he catches her eye again. But she runs away again. And on the third week that she goes to the church, he catches her eye. And this time he's like, she's not getting away. So he pursues her. Um, when she hurries off to get home before everyone else, she hurries after he hurries after her. Um, and in typical Cinderella fashion, she drops one of her shoes. Um, and he picks it up and he says that whoever uh, fits the shoe is going to be my wife um, so the evil queen wanted the shoe to fit her daughter obviously so she put the first daughter, the daughter of the old queen into hiding um, behind this fireplace and when the prince came along the queen's daughter's foot was too big for the shoe obviously because it wasn't her own so the queen had the points of her daughter's toes cut off um, and just like that the shoe went on so then the wedding day comes and behind the fireplace, hidden in the secret nook, is the old queen's daughter, um, hidden away where no one can see her. And then a bird comes to the window as the people gather and it cries out, the blood's in the shoe and the pretty foot's in the nook on the back of the fire. The queen tells the prince to ignore the bird because it's it's dirty and lying and it, you know, it doesn't speak a word of truth. Um, but nevertheless, the bird repeats itself and the prince this time hears it and he goes to the fireplace and he looks in the back of the nuke and there's the, the first queen's daughter with one golden shoe on. So they place the other golden shoe on her foot and then they get married and live happily ever after and they're rich and everything. Um, so it's, it's basically Cinderella, um, but it also compares to Rashi Coats, which is another um, Cinderella story from Scotland. And it's got a lot of similarities especially towards the end it just starts differently um essentially instead of going to the the church is still there um she goes to the church three times there's a shoe that she loses the shoe gets put back on her that's how they identify her um but it's like the fairy godmother in the rashi quotes version is actually a fairy whereas the godmother in this version is a sheep um, <laughs> um, and the only other difference in Rashi quotes is that um, her father is going to have her married off to a prince who's ugly and she doesn't want that so the daughter goes to seek help from the henwife who tells her to demand these three impossible things of her dad so I'm not going to get married until you make me a coat of rashes a coat of gold a coat of feathers he does all that she runs away she ends up in this new place where she sees this prince and then that's where the whole like going to church thing happens um and and that's that a couple of cheeky wee cinderella stories it's a wild ride yeah it's so like there's another like cinderella-esque story rather than rashi coats it's called ration coaty it's very very similar but okay. in, that, in that one the fairy is a wee red cow <laughs> so it's like yeah not a sheep, this time it's a cow. But the rest of it is, is not the same, but similar. Lots of feet getting chopped off and yeah. birds delivering messages and, and things like that. And a happy ever after, of course. I wonder why the sheep and the cows. I don't think the sheep is the fairy in that one. No? Well, you don't hear from him again. I think the sheep's the prince. 
I was going to say, I totally think that. I just, it reminded me, you know, on LinkedIn, you see that thing about like, oh, you know, I was going to a work interview and I saw like a stray dog and I helped it out and then I watched the interview and it, the interview was a dog. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> kind of like that. That's true. It's giving me, it sounds like it's two separate fairy tales that have been smushed together. And that's why the sheep suddenly vanishes. Like mm-hmm. it's supposed to be the sheep at the end that comes forward. And like what we have left is this monstrous creation, <laughs> a, a Cinderella of nightmares, if you would. Wow. I find a lot with like really old tales sometimes when they're written down and you look and it's like five pages long, but you get halfway through and you're like, this is a different story. <laughs> we're not talking about the same thing anymore. And yeah, sometimes I find it very hard to stay on track. Yeah. The, the Battle of the Birds, for me especially, does that. It is completely two separate tales, and they've just put it all as... Mm-hmm. Actually, at some points, it becomes, like, three, and you're like, what's going on here? Yeah. The thing with, like, with Rashi Coates um, is that, at least in the telling that I was using, um, the coat comes back at the end. Like, she, she opens her bag, and she pulls out the coat, and she gets married in the coat. So, like, there, there's a vague thread, but, yeah, the, the sheep just gone. That's because he's the prince. <laughs> there was the hint as well. He gave her the shoes. He didn't have any feet. It was like a... <laughs> That's what I was thinking. It was a lot of like forgetting feet, forgetting shoe, forgetting Yeah. Foot no. fetishist. That's... Yeah. Really? That's what the story is actually about. Foot you listen, there is a storyteller in Scotland who's just really into feet. He wants to be able to give women shoes whenever he likes. I'm telling you, everything was invented in Scotland, including foot fetishes. I actually do have a relevant comment for a change. Ooh. And it was about the, like, so this would, I think this would probably be categorized more as a fairy tale than a folk tale. And there's lots and lots of literature on the definitions between those two. But one of the things you have in those is a very obvious good versus evil. So you have the evil stepmother and her job is to be cruel. And for a lot of us in the modern times, you see that and you're like, well, I have a stepmother and she's an angel. So this, they're obviously not true to life. In fact, a lot of the people who were telling these stories were living in a time where you have limited resources. Your kids, you'd want them out of the house by 14 because at that point they're grown. Um, and if you had to get remarried, it was important for the second wife to ensure that her own children were getting the best of the bargain. So you did have a lot of occasions where a stepmother would beat or starve or throw out the children of the previous wife um so there is a, a something to be said about it's always the evil stepmother because if, if you had a stepmother that might actually be your life um but there's another reading of it which I thought was quite interesting which is talking about how a lot of these stories were told in communal village settings and the having like an evil character that is not related to you by blood is a this warning about strangers and you must only trust the people within your village or within your community because if you bring a stranger in who's not quite good enough then you'll be punished like these people are and the only way to overcome that punishment is to oust the stranger so that's why a lot of these tales end with the stepmother getting killed or (laughs) thrown out I just thought that was quite interesting yeah and it makes sense because I mean especially when you have stories where it's royalty and there's a you know a royal stepmother she's always looking out for her own kids to kind of get the crown and take out the old heir and 
elevate her own family. Another thing about uh, that is that um, a lot of these like royalty, when you look at it, they say they look out at their castle on the farmers or, you know, the king is coming to visit the farmers himself. That wouldn't actually happen with royalty. So it's almost like whatever kind of head person you had. So the stepmother is sending her daughter out to tend sheep. What kind of king has his own flock of sheep that he personally over mm-hmm. like surveys, right? So it's more than likely that it's just a rich family yeah. that is kind of the hub of, of business in a community because they'll be the ones hiring servants and owning the land that people are crofting on. It's just yeah. quite interesting to see it like translated, like things that I didn't even realize because we've all grown up hearing, you know, Cinderella and Snow White and all that. Yeah, that's really interesting. So as I'm sure some of our regular listeners will agree, Scottish folklore tales are often quite morbid, scary, or even gruesome. And they depict unpleasant characters, events, and locations, and tell of monsters and evil spirits. So as you can imagine, this week's topic was particularly tricky to research. But during my research, I did come across a few familiar stories, and one in particular caught my eye about giants, as I realised I knew half of the story, but the half I didn't know was actually the more exciting part. Giants, for the most part, helped sculpt much of the landscape that we know today, including the famous Giant's Causeway, which, of course, as the name may give away, was built by giants. But despite their love or apparent love of architecture, giants were unfortunately not very smart. As you see, the Giant's Causeway was created when a giant named Finn McCool from Northern Ireland got into an altercation with another giant from across the pond in the Scottish Highlands. The Scottish giant, Bean and Donner, taunted Finn and yelled insults across the sea. Having none of it, Finn began ripping apart the cliffs along the coastline and throwing them across the sea in an effort to strike Bean and Donner and deter him from further mockery. However, whether it was poor aim or difficulty judging the distance between the two shorelines, all the rocks that he hurled across the sea missed their target and every time instead of hitting a target they actually began forming a pathway that allowed Bean and Donner to cross the water. Yelling he charged at Finn and challenged him to a physical fight. As Bean and Donner got closer Finn soon realized that he was much larger than himself and he stood absolutely no chance in beating him. Fearing the loss of a fight that would tarnish his reputation and also potentially threaten his life Finn retreated back home and told his wife, Una, who quickly concocted a genius plan. She would wrap Finn in a blanket and place a bonnet on his head to convince Bean and Donner that Finn was actually a baby and Finn's son. Having nothing to lose, Finn agreed and Una quickly created his baby attire from bedding, curtains, towels and anything else she could find to clothe this enormous baby. Not long after, Bean and Donner made it to Ireland and he spotted Finn's wife. As per the plan, she told him that Finn wasn't home and was out hunting, and asked if he wanted to meet their baby, promptly presenting the enormous giant baby. Utterly shocked, Bean and Donna realised that if this baby was Finn's son, Finn must be absolutely terrifying and much bigger and stronger than him. It dawned on him he had no chance of winning the fight, so he sprinted back to Scotland, removing as much of the newly paved causeway as he could in fear that Finn might pay him a visit. Roaring with laughter, Finn and his wife waved Bean and Donner off, and equally, Bean and Donner breathed a sigh of relief that the Irish giant would never be able to make his way to Scotland. And so what we see today are the remains of the giant's causeway at each shore, 
and also the birth of a pretty great story. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a funny story. (laughs) (laughs) Two giants just hurling abuse at each other. I wonder what spurred it. I had no idea what kind of caused it, but there we go. They just seem to be an aggressive kind of people. It's like the same with putting stones all over the place. Just giants yell at each other from hills and then try and knock each other off with stones. That's rude. Exactly. I just love the fact that the one to sort of finish it all or end it all was Fingal's or Finbacool's wife, not. It wasn't them fighting, it was her whips that beat them both, I guess. It's always the wise woman. Yep. I don't know why, dress up like a giant baby and rely on your enemy being stupid. Hey, it worked! worked. (laughs) She can read a room. Yeah, (laughs) don't disrespect Tina. It's like, um, do you know that Norse tale where Thor dresses up as a woman? to marry the ice giant in return for the giant built like a tower and in return he asked for Freya's hand in marriage and Thor dressed up as a woman and he married Thor instead or something and it's like it's a fully grown man in a very translucent veil and everyone was like yes this is a woman I think Thor's supposed to eat like six oxes and drink (laughs) that's the thing and the the ice giant's like oh i've never seen a woman eat quite so much and thor's handmaiden is loki and loki's (laughs) like oh yeah she's been on a slim for the wedding so she could fit in the dress that's why she's just really hungry (laughs) you know actually that's quite an interesting thing because similar to both stories we also have this the wise trickster you know, so they're doing something ridiculous and something silly, but they're actually the clever ones. They're the ones that we respect now. So we've got his wife in this story and Loki. Why does the trickster have such like a, they've got such an interesting position in folklore. Mm. What I want to know is if giants have children like people have children, how big was Finn's wife? (laughs) (laughs) Very interesting point, David. Thank you. The first C-section of folklore. <laughs> <laughs> the scholars will debate. It just grow really fast. Ah, okay. Graham's got the answer. This isn't really an educated point, but um, when you were telling the story and you were talking about like, oh, we'll dress him up as a baby, it just made me think of you know that episode of Friends when um, Joy's in love with Rachel and Rachel's pregnant and he like dreams that um he, he dreams that like him and Rachel are at the hospital together and they look at the baby and it's got Ross's face. It just made me think of that. <laughs> I've never seen that. But that's <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. That is always the image I have in my head when I hear that story. I wish they'd made a statue to that at the Giants Cosby. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> I do feel sorry for though, because his side of the causeway is supposed to be at Staffa, right? At Fingal's Cave. Because, you know, all, this, all the things look exactly the same. But I feel really bad that the, the cave is now named after the his, his opponent. So he's kind of been half forgotten in a lot of these yeah. stories. He doesn't get a mention. Uh, and it's, 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 yeah, I just feel for him. He, he lost the whole fight and he lost his home. He lost his cave. I'm in favour. You're in favour oh, of giants. Yeah. <laughs> Is the grip mind in favour of giants? 
Very in favour yeah. of Giant. Yes. Because there's not many Giant stories that have a happy ending in any way. Most of them are sort of doom and gloom and destruction and awfulness. That's very true, yeah. I do wonder where they got the Giants from. Um, just, I'm thinking like, Amazon. where are they finding <laughs> true? You know what, Anna, it is Black Friday. <laughs> so <laughs> they made, they were like getting two for one on Giants. <laughs> Well, they could get them half price. You get a giant for the price of a regular person. Oh, man. That's the baby. <laughs> I'm thinking more scientifically, guys. <laughs> Did they perhaps find little dinosaur bones and went, yeah, that's a big man? Mm. What could you imagine, actually? <laughs> the first person who discovered dinosaur, like, leg bones was like, holy moly, that is a massive, like, leg thigh. Oh, geez, thigh. I hope this guy's left the area. Put <laughs> <laughs> that right, family. <laughs> like, did they also find dinosaur footprints um, on a, near, like, a lock near, or somewhere? I was, in I was sky. That's the one. So, you know, yeah. if they found the footprints... That surely doesn't look like like maybe it looks like a big bird or something like, or what if they went? This could have been a big person. I always wonder about that. They say that like stories of cyclops come from elephant skulls because an elephant they've got a big oh, hole, yeah. the trunk comes yeah. out, and it looks like a big eye socket. So you look at the skull of an elephant, and you think that could easily be a giant with one big eye. So it could well be something similar. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you know they find like what mammoth remains in the north in the the. English Channel and stuff like that, so it wouldn't surprise me if something washed up. Mm-hmm. Just think about the mammoth one there. That actually makes quite a bit of sense, though. When you think, like, you've got out towards the sea with Fingal's one, where a lot of the kind of mammoth bones and stuff have been dredged up. You've got other ones like Rannoch Moor, like the watershed and everything like that. A lot of ones that were glacial places mm. that quite possibly these kind of bones would have shown up. It would make sense with mm. kind of things like mammoth bones. So I decided to do the uh, tales of Lothian Tom, uh, and I found the tale on George Douglas's collection of Scottish and fairy and folk tales, and it's actually under the subsection of comic tales, so that was very handy for me to find it. Um, so the stories of Tom is just a few stories of a young boy that pulls a lot of pranks on the people around him, basically, so I'm just not going to talk about all of them, I'm just going to mention the two that I like the most. So the first one that we learn is that his grandmother had a lot of money, but she wouldn't give him any. So what he did uh, was to go out and steal the cow that she had. So she had a black cow and Tom went out and stole it. And when she went looking for it and couldn't find it, he said, oh, just give me money and I'll buy you a new one. Uh, So she gave him money to buy her a new one. And he just took the money and then took a bit of chalk and painted like a white dot on her old cow and just brought her back. Uh, to his grandmother and was like, here's your cow, here's your new cow. Uh, and apparently at some point it started raining and the chalk just completely went away and his whole family realised that, you know, he was just cheated his grandmother out of money. So um, he got a beating from his father, but he was all right afterwards. And he kept on doing the same thing. Um, and apparently he scammed a lot of people out of a lot of money. So he had to leave Scotland and he went to 
he went to England and kept on doing the same thing. So he got a job under a new master. And at some point, a butcher came over uh, and Tom went up to his master and was like, do you want to place a bet that I could steal the calf from the butcher before he goes two miles away from us? And his master was like, yeah, you know what, why not? Um, so Tom ran ahead of the butcher on the road and he left a shoe. Uh, and the butcher came across it and was like, oh, that's a lovely shoe, but I don't have the pair, so I wouldn't pick it up. So he kept on going and Tom picked up the shoe and ran ahead of the butcher again and placed the shoe in front of the butcher again. So the butcher saw the shoe and was like, oh, now I have a pair, so I can go back and get the other one and I'll have two. Uh, so he left his horse and his calf there and he went back to find the shoe. Uh, meanwhile, Tom stole the calf and went back to his master. Um, so the poor butcher saw no shoes and no calf when he went back. Uh, so he went back to Tom and his master to tell them about what had happened. Uh, and Tom was like, oh, well, we've got a calf that we could sell you. So he pulled the same trick again. He actually took a bit of chalk and painted another white dot on the calf and sold it to the butcher. Um, and then when the butcher took the calf and started going away, he said to his master again, oh, do you want to place another bet that I could steal it again? And his master was like, oh, no, no, I'm not going to place any bets with you, but I'll give you money if you do it. So Tom said, yeah, why not? I'll do it again. Uh, so he ran ahead again and he started crying the same way, like a calf would cry. Uh, and the butcher thought that, oh, that's probably the calf I went missing last time. So he left his horse and his calf and started looking for it, for the one that he had lost. Uh, and Tom in the middle just stopped crying and went and got the calf again. And the butcher came back, not having found the calf and found the other one missing as well. So he went back to the master and Tom again. Uh, and Tom sold him his own calf for a third time. Um, and yeah, I think that was mostly my story, which I quite liked because nothing bad happens in it. It's just like silly and fun. And, you know, Tom's not a mean character. He's just kind of cheeky, but that's about it. And no one gets harmed. And it was so nice to read after so many people dying. I feel like that calf is going to look like a dice by the end. <laughs> he just keeps adding a dot and then selling it again. This is actually a very exotic animal. It's a it's Dalmatian now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a giant Dalmatian. I had a little read of the Lothian Tom ones. I really, like, there's so many brilliant ones amongst it. I felt particularly bad for his school teacher, though, because there was two of the ones that I enjoyed about his school teacher. One that he, um, his school teacher was going to give him a thrash, and uh, I think did actually. And so to get his revenge, he waited until the school teacher went to the toilet. He'd set a trail of gunpowder <laughs> and he, he lit it and it flared up while the, the school teacher was on the toilet. Not like enough to harm him, but enough just to give him a bit of a fright and a bit of a scorch. It's giving your wally. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. you know, we'll tell her, maybe there's some relation. I don't maybe. know. And there was another one with the school teacher, which is when his school teacher finally quit. Um, when a school teacher was quite, he would use it. From what I got from the story, he would use a knife to like cut the breeches of the trousers so he could thrash him against the bare skin. Uh -huh. And he was like, I'm not going to take that anymore. So he got like a kind of blood pudding style thing and he put it in his trousers. So when the next time it cut it, it looked like he was bleeding out. He's like, I've been murdered, I've been killed. And the, the teacher did a runner and apparently ran three miles before people managed to catch him and tell him he's not actually dead because he thought he was going to be hung. And then after that, they were like, I'm not teaching you anymore. So, what are we legend? Yeah. I don't know if you managed to find or not, Liana, but I couldn't find who actually originally wrote the story or like where it originally came from. The earliest version I found was 1790 published in Glasgow, but 
I couldn't find any author or anything on it. No, not really, because I found the like I found the one that um, the one I first read on George Douglas, and then he had like a footnote to someone else's work, but that's kind of where my trail went cold. Like I couldn't really find anything more specific than that. Yeah, I managed to find a brief one that they were published as like little kind of small volume. Well, this one, like I think it was pamphlets. like a, a series published by a specific publisher. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would publish like little kind of small books, 50 page or less. I can't, they had a specific word for them back in the day, these type of books they published. Mm-hmm. They were quite cheap, kind of fun to read things. But yeah, the earliest one I can find 1790 with a minute. But again, I can't find much else about it other than he was a scamp and these are the stories that have gone about. So. I don't know whether he was a character that we kind of knew like Ur Willie, so it didn't need mm. a person attributed to it. It was just a kind of known character. Yeah. Mm. Maybe. I think he sounds great. <laughs> I had a really good time. <laughs> Not so great. Like forerunner, to, forerunner to all comic books. Yeah. Mm, yeah. and Ur Willie and all that stuff. I wonder how many times he would have gotten away with it if he just kept going. <laughs> like at what point that would somebody catch on because if that keeps happening i mean surely if you do it to the same person over and over like surely that can't go on for a long time but if you start doing it to other people like they'll talk they'll be like something's something's a bit amiss here <laughs> it does seem like a one-trick pony but a, a one-trick heifer yeah. <laughs> and eventually someone's gonna be like how come you keep selling us a calf and i've never once seen you tend any Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like the worst, yeah, worst salesman ever. He has one product any one time. I just love that he actually had to leave Scotland because of his shenanigans. I, yeah, just like I think the story that came right before was he just scammed a lot of people out of their money and he was reported to the police and he just pointed at someone else and said, Oh, it wasn't me, it was that person that did it. So when that person got arrested, he kind of had to leave. So they wouldn't catch wrong with him. Well, that's why, like, it's got the proper, like, old school title of it's Lowly and Tom, and then under it's like kind of subtitle to make it even longer. It's like I think it's like comical tales of ex- exploits in Scotland and then in English. <laughs> <laughs> Almost like well, he gets away like... with it because he's like the witty trickster. You know, mm-hmm. if he wasn't, if he wasn't like a little bit funny, then this would just be malicious, right? But it's the fact that it like. We're on his side because he is using his his wits and he's obviously very smart and everyone's like living in his world. Mm-hmm. It's like this the idea of, you know, the the jester, the court jester from like what well, that dates back to about like medieval times. Mm-hmm. And it was a person who the only person who could stand up to the king or could counsel the king was the person who was also the fool. Yeah, it does very much have the vibe that he is doing it just for the bands doesn't it like he's he, it, he's not doing it to scam anyone he's doing it just because it's fun well it's and almost it's almost teaching too. people like don't like like you're don't trust the trickster at the side of the road you know mm-hmm. when you read the stories about like the wily fox and the lesson from it's like don't trust the fox don't be a dummy and it's the same with Lily and tom like keep an eye on your possessions <laughs> Yeah, if you get tricked by him, it is your own fault. Exactly. <laughs> you don't to trust him. He's literally gone out of the country. Yes. <laughs> it's it's you know when people reply to like the emails, it's like I am a Nigerian prince and I need five thousand pounds from you. Like at the end of the day, that's a Lothian Tom. It's your own fault. He told you your yeah. own calf. Yeah. That's your own five thousand pounds. He's just drawn dots on them all. 
Exactly. Because <laughs> he's drawn the zeros. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a very po- posh quote from Aristotle. Ooh, of course. Because we need to raise the bar in this podcast a little bit. <laughs> he said that the comic is a species of the ugly lacking the power to harm. And I thought that's quite actually like that's that's fair like we are we laugh at Lothian Tom because he is witty and we respect that and we know that the tricks that he pulls are just in story so he doesn't have the power to actually harm and the butcher seems to have enough money to keep going back and buying the cow like he's not Mm -hmm. being truly punished right it's it's the classic Robin Hood um but the at the same time, Lothian Tom is, he's morally ugly, I suppose. Like, he's not something that we should be emulating. Speak Unless, for course, yourself, your David. line crisis. Oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that, is, that is a very relevant quote. So this is one of the, the sort of happiest ending stories I could, I could find since, yeah, it's... Uh, not very common, shall we say. So uh, most people will tell you that when you find uh, Aber at the start of a place name, it means the confluence of a river. So like Abernethy, where the Nethy burn flows into the River Erne, or Aberdeen, where the Don and the Dee flow into the North Sea. However, when it comes to Aberfeldy in Persia, local folklore claims a different origin. The name Aberfeldy supposedly comes from the Gallic Oberfeli, or the work of Pele. But then who was Pele? And what exactly was he working on? Well, he wasn't human anyway. In fact, he'd been around for a long time, long before people were walking around Persia. Pele was an unusual-looking, shaggy wee beast called a Eurisk. And it said that he created the beautiful series of waterfalls that the Mones Burn tumbles down. If you ever go up to the Burks of Aberfeldy, that's where that is. And not many people have heard of Eurisks, but if you're familiar with brownies, the wee creatures that live in big houses and come out to do chores once everybody's gone to sleep, this is like the outdoorsy version of that. A little bit hairier, a wee bit rougher around the edges, and much less likely to do any work. But Pelly was especially unlikely to help with any domestic tasks. He wasn't aggressive or threatening in any way, but he did have a habit of leaving his watery lair to play tricks on the locals. While not intentionally hurting anyone, there was every chance he'd make your life difficult, so you just didn't want him prowling around your home. And one day, there's a housewife, making bannocks, and she spied that shaggy wee Eurisk quietly sneaking in through the front door. And out of the corner of her eye, she saw him snatch up an entire first batch of baking where it was cooling on the table. Without a care in the world or for her feelings, he sat there munching away in the corner, dropping crumbs all over the clean floor. Well, she wasn't happy. But it's not really a good idea to risk offending any kind of supernatural creature, so she just continued to bake. Every time the Eurisk finished eating one batch, he would grab the next cooled plate of bannocks and start to wolf them down. Pelle's unhappy host was praying that soon he would have filled himself up and he'd just leave of his own accord. But he showed absolutely no sign of slowing down. And then peeking into her kitchen chest, she saw they were almost completely out of flour. Panic was setting in then. If this didn't stop soon, her family were going to starve. There was only one option, even though it's really something she did not want to do. But she took a little longer with the next batch. 
You know, she waited until the Eurus was finished, the very last bag. And then she spun around with a fresh one, still roasting hot from the fire, and she dropped it straight into his outstretched hand. But a scolded Eurisky screamed in pain and he sprinted out through the door to plunge himself in the icy cool waterfall that he called home. And while the baker, well, she was pretty pleased she'd finally gotten rid of her pest, she still felt awful about having hurt him. Hiding up behind his waterfall, Pele was feeling just as guilty about almost starving the woman and her family by eating them out of house and home. So the next day, Eurisk woke up and he decided he needed to do something about it. But just as he looked outside, he saw there was a peace offering sitting there in the form of a glass of milk and a freshly baked bannock, just on a rock. Unfortunately, he knew just how he could repay the favour. And the woman's husband, he was a farmer, and there was this one spot in his field that he always had problems with. When the rest of his crops would grow fine, nothing could survive this one big dry patch in the corner. Now, it wasn't even worth sowing with any seed. But in the same day that Pele was given his treat, the farmer found that barren bit of ground had suddenly become moist and fertile. It seems that the Burisk and the baker, they've finally made their amends. That's great. That's so wholesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice story. Everybody's happy. I mean, the woman has still pretty much got no food left, but... <laughs> no one's told each other. But they're, they're, they're best mates now. Yeah. I've never heard of a fairy regretting their actions and or not ending up murdering the family so excellent very true it's a very positive story for a fairy it's a brownie style creature though and they are quite mm. innocuous although yeah, it's your rough cousin but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he's the heck i hadn't heard of the urist until today and i did some reading up on them it seemed mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting creature. Pelly, the most famous of them. He apparently was the head of the tribe of them before he moved to Aberfeldy. Wow. Settled down. The very, yeah. I mean, I've heard people say that Eurisk is just another word for a brownie, but you find these ones outdoors and those ones indoors. Or some say it's a Eurisk is the brownie of the highlands, um, things like that. But there's not that many stories of them. Then Eurisk seem to be slightly more satyr-like from what? A lot of them were saying, but a wee bit, yeah. I imagine it's you know, if you live outdoors, if you live outdoors, it needs to, you know, be a bit sort of yeah. a bit more uh, equipped, better equipped. But there's a place uh, near Loch Katrine on the side, of, I think it's Ben Vane, one of the whichever one of the mountains up near Loch Katrine, uh, or Katrine. I always say Katrine, it's not Katrine, it's Katrine. There's the Cory of the Eurisks. Which is apparently where they had their like annual meeting. They would all gather in one one little hollow there. Ooh, oh, cool! That's fun. Podcast party site. <laughs> um, talked about. Yeah, go see the Euros. Have a booze cruise down Loch Catron. It'll be great. Yeah. Apparently, Walter Scott put a little stands on that in the Lady of the Lake poem. So. Oh, did he? Yeah, it was on the page that had up to do with another bit I was learning about the. Did he write? He wrote, by many a bard in Celtic tongue has, Graham? Cornan Yurishkin. Sung, been sung. A softer name the Saxons gave and called the grot the goblin cave. Mm. Grace superstitions whisper dread, debarred the spot to vulgar tread, for there, she said, did Faye's resort and satyrs hold their sylvan court. Mm. Walter Scott in there, as always. Rude that he's calling them goblins. I know. 
much nicer than a goblin. Yeah, is he not saying that basically it's a crude way that the sort of English language have started calling them goblins? Is that not his point? Oh, or I mean, exactly. Yeah, maybe. That's the, that's maybe how I heard it. Tongue. Yeah. The Saxons yeah. have corrupted it yeah, yeah, yeah. from the Celtic. And Classic. Typical. Which would make sense because... Can't take him anywhere with Saxons. Aberbeen, like, from the proto-Celticness being... Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the, the, the reason I had this page up in the first place was um, when I was reading about kind of Aberfeldy and the name and the, the main thing that came up in the books and all the place name books and everything was, you were, as you were saying, to do with the... Um, what was his name again? Pelly. The... the um, Eurisk. But there was a... Oh, some of the other ones were saying... Um, what one was it about? St. Palliadus that came over in the 4th century? No, the 5th century. He was originally in Ireland, then he came over to Scotland and he was seen in around about the Aberfeldy area and, and the stone that was also attributed to Pelly was attributed to St. Palliadus as well. And different um, kind of place name books will attribute to one or the other, but there doesn't seem to be anyone that will, seems to predate the other. But that was just a, another one where the, the Christian ones have been sneaking in to try and to take over the names again. From poor Philly, who was trying so hard, Palliadus shows up with all the glam. Thank you for listening to the Folklore Scotland podcast. We'll be back every week with more folkloric content from stories to analysis. The podcast is brought to you by Folklore Scotland, the charity that aims to make Scottish folklore accessible using digital platforms telling the tales of the past with the technology of today. If you'd like to become a voluntary contributor or would like to get in touch, pop us an email at info at folklorescotland.com and you can find all of our social media as well as a list of sources in the show notes below. The charity also now has a Ko-fi page which you can find in the show notes if you would like to help us continue the work that we do. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.